So we notice what we're going to be looking at, the six sessions that we're going to be looking at, transformed in my relationship is what we're going to start with today, and then transformed in my prayer, transformed in my possessions, transformed in my plans, transformed in my actions, and in my choices. So let's look at um, page 13. First question. When has an activity or hobby felt effortless to you? When has an activity or hobby felt effortless to you? I mean, when I kept doing it day after day after day. Okay. Uh, with so much repetition, it gave me endurance when I walked fast with my dog every morning. Mm -hmm. So that at first I started out huffing and puffing up and down on hills. Mm -hmm. And um, eventually I wasn't huffing and puffing, my body was getting used to it and stronger. So no longer is it a chore. Right. It's effortless. And a lot of things that we, we get into that we enjoy doing becomes effortless. You, you know, it's just, oh boy, I got to do this again. Oh no. You know, it's not like that. You know, and we have a lot of things in our lives that we respond to that way too, right? But uh, if, you, if you do something that you really love, then it's not a chore. You look forward to doing it. Okay, Bible Meets Life on page 14. Someone read that, please. <clears throat> it's remarkable to watch a sailboat cut effortlessly across the water. No roaring engines drown out the simply, simplicity and beauty of the boat. <clears throat> Gifted sailors know just how to catch the wind. It takes work to position the sails correctly, but once that's done, the boat moves at a pace the sailors could never produce by their own effort. What are the sails in your life? What gets you moving in the right direction in spite of the wind and waves that threaten to engulf you? Jesus preached a masterful sermon we call the Sermon on the Mount. Right in the middle of that sermon, he spoke of three dis disciplines, three sails, if you will, that when correctly understood and applied, allows us to catch God's power and experience the life we could never produce on our own. These disciplines are the sails of worship, and worship always gets us headed in the right direction. Amen. Transformed in my worship is the subject that we're looking at today. So the, the, the setting, consider the setting as we go, go before the look at the passages. Uh, the point of the whole lesson is giving, praying, and fasting are disciplines of personal worship. And so the, the paragraph mentioned three sales that once correctly understood can be applied to our lives to allow us to catch God's power. They are giving, praying, and fasting are personal disciplines of worship. Now Jesus had gathered with his disciples to a mountainside to give them some lessons or to instruct them about being citizens of the kingdom of God. Countless other people joined them. Okay, it was specifically for his disciples. But a lot of people were attracted by his teaching so they came along as well. His instruction came to be called the Sermon on the Mount as we know it today. In his instructions, he underscored the value of worshiping the Father through giving, praying, and fasting. 
He went on to teach his followers how to practice these disciplines from a heart devoted to growing in him instead of bent towards seeking applause from others. And sadly, we live in a world today where people are doing stuff that they say for God, but they're really doing it for the applause of men. They're doing it for the applause of people. They're doing it to build up their own reputation. And, uh, and so this lesson is a very timely one for us, uh, not, only, not just to instruct us, but to remind us and basically, all the lessons that we go through are reminders of what we ought to be doing anyway. Isn't that so? Okay, let's then look at the first, the second question. When you worship someone or something, what are you stating about them? When you worship someone or something, what are you stating about them? Or what are you saying about them? Hmm? Do you believe them or you believe in them? You believe in them? Okay. They become your idol. They become your idol? Yes, they could become your idol. Okay. We have people who go to church on sometimes on a Sunday and they leave church and they talk and say, Boy, you should hear what preacher and pastor had to say today. You know, and someone heard it so much, they say, Well, you know, well, what did Jesus say? You know? And so that you, you, the person's, people have a tendency to become, have a tendency to worship uh, the idol. And uh, what they say, about, what they state about that person is that person is more important than anybody else. Anyone else? To answer that question, when you worship someone or something, what are we stating about them besides becoming an idol, showing them importance, what else? Okay, we, 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 we show a sense of worship, right? Okay, then let's look at what the Bible has to say. Matthew chapter 16 on page 15. We can read the first four verses, please. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of people to be seen by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So wherever you give to the poor, don't sound on the trumpet before you. As hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be applauded by people, I assure you, they have got their reward. But when you get to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay. Look at the definition for trumpet there. See that? Offering chests in Jesus' day had trumpet-shaped openings. Now, this is why the, the, the reference to trumpet is so important here in this verse. It had um, trumpet-shaped offerings to prevent thieves from reaching in and stealing the money. So even back in those days, people were stealing the offering. Okay? That's not new. All right? Okay, so they had to devise a way where people didn't put their hands in and, and, and uh, take the money out. Okay, uh, and uh, the people are still doing that sort of stuff. There was uh, something on the news the other day where this fellow went in all the Walgreens he could find and he went, walked up to the cashier and when the cashier opened the drawer, he leaped open, grabbed money out of the cash register and took off through the drawer. And he did that in several stores. And it was this mode of, modus operandi, they say. Okay, so people were stealing from the offering way back then. Okay, that's people could sound a trumpet. Now notice this. It sounded trumpet by throwing coins loudly into the offering horn for the purpose of calling attention to their generosity. 
All right? So when they wanted people to see how much they, they got a lot of coins, and they threw them in, or they threw more, threw them repeatedly so that the trumpet sound louded, uh, was made loud. And people would look and say, oh boy, somebody, he's given a lot of money. You know, so that's the reference here to the trumpet. That's what you want to put that in context here. When Jesus talks about the trumpet. Okay. Uh, one other thing, that the, the, this temptation was to, to steal uh, from the offering uh, was made worse. Uh, by the offering boxes being placed in the temple for contributions. People, there were a lot of people in the temple area during that time. And so people would stop by and drop coins uh, down the brass funnel in the top of the box. And the funnel uh, was not, not only shaped like a trumpet, but it was shaped more in the form of a bell as well. And the larger amount of money that you dropped into the funnel, the louder the noise made. Okay, and so we see what Jesus is talking about here when he talks about doing it so that you would get attention to yourself. And so Jesus referred to people who give out of such a shallow motivation as hypocrites. Okay, because they're not, they were not doing it to show any reverence or, or, or devotion to God. They're doing it to show reverence or uh, 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 attraction to themselves. And uh, we have uh, that still going on today. While they play the role of selfless, and benevolent givers, their hearts exhibit something different. Indeed, they seek the applause of those who witness their extravagant generosity, or so-called extravagant generosity, when they receive it. They had better enjoy it, Jesus says. So whenever you get that applause of men, you better enjoy it because that's all you're going to get. Don't expect anything else when you get to heaven. You're getting it all right here on earth because that's what you're doing it for. All right, and, and a lot of people don't realize that. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that uh, things are going to be very, very different when they get to heaven from the way things are on earth. And Jesus says, you know, whatever you're doing to get attention to yourself, enjoy it now because that's all you're going to get. Okay, let's look at the paragraphs on page uh, 16. We could have someone read that, please. For worship is delighting in God. Worship is our natural response to the greatness of God. And that kind of worship transforms us, including the way we give. It's a noble thing to give to help others. Yet that nobility had become part of the problem in Jesus' time. People often exploited their giving as a way to gain honor. The same is true today. Some people love to make a big splash with their giving. Jesus called such people hypocrites. These are people who wear a mask of spiritual devotion, but their hearts tell a different story. Notice that Jesus didn't denounce giving in verses 1 to 4, but he did challenge us to check our motives. Is my giving about receiving recognition or a tax deduction? Or do I give entirely out of a gracious desire to help others? a response to the goodness and grace of God in my own life. Worship giving, worshipful giving, says to God our Father, I recognize you own it all. I recognize you, God, as my provider. All I have is from you. I am thankful for my salvation in Christ. I want to join you, God, as you work in the lives of others. 
I recognize that you, God, reward faithful obedience. Even as I give, you will continue to take care of me. Giving is the only discipline in scripture in which the Lord calls us to test him. He says, bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. Malachi 3. Okay, and uh, we've heard stories about people who have tested God in his way. And uh, God has responded phenomenally. You know, there were persons who, instead of giving 10%, they gave 90%. And God just flooded them with so much that they didn't, they didn't know what to do with it. Okay, they had so much. And so God is, this is one of the disciplines of Scripture that tells us to test God. But notice verse, uh, the third paragraph. Notice that Jesus didn't denounce giving in verses 1 to 4. But he did challenge us to check our motives. Okay, there are people who give for various kinds of motives that are not in keeping with what the scripture tells us that we ought to have in terms of giving. Okay, uh, there are people who are not saved and they give tremendous amounts of money hoping that God would smile on them because of the amount of money that they give. Okay, and uh, they're going to, I'm, 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 I, I, I really pity and, and I'm really sorry for those kinds of people because they're going to really get a rude awakening. When they get, when that day of judgment comes and they realize that all that money they give didn't have anything to do with where they're going to end up in eternity. Okay? So you need to really be praying for people like that. Uh, people who want to give because they want to not only receive recognition. It says, is my giving receiving recognition or tax deduction? Or do I give entirely out of a gracious desire to help others? A response to the goodness and the grace of God in my own life. Okay, so there's a check there in terms of how we are to give, in terms of our motives. You know, and there are people in various kinds, in various denom uh, 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 religions that uh, giving is a big thing for them because they feel as if that's scoring up brownie points for them uh, with God. And so they continue to give and give and they feel this God is going to do this for me because I give so much. You know, I give a million dollars to the church. Boy, I can't wait to see what God is going to give me for that. You know, and uh, people are doing that uh, today in our time. Question number three. When, was giving, when has giving felt like an act of worship to you? When has giving felt like an act of worship to you? I mean, you're not giving and, and you're thinking, boy, I really could use this money, I got some bills to pay. You know, it's an act of worship. It's a part of your worship. You're not, you're not attaching anything to it in terms of if, 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 if. Okay, when was, when was it, when, when was giving felt like an act of worship to you? Anybody? Every time I give an offering, um, I give it with a grateful and thankful heart. You want to speak a little louder so everybody can hear that? Yeah, I said that every time that I give an offering to the church, I give it with a grateful and thankful heart to God, knowing that I could never repay Him for His blessings upon my life, which is immeasurable to compare with what I gave back to him, you know, it, it, it's always been a grateful and thankful and worshipful heart to him. Amen. For all of his blessings that he showered upon us every day. 
Amen. Okay, good. Anybody else? When has giving felt like an act of worship to you? I always like to give when you can't give me back. Hmm? I like to give the unfortunate who cannot give you back. Okay, so giving to the unfortunate who can't give you back feels like an act of worship. Okay, you know, the proverb says that um, uh, those who give to the poor lends to the Lord, and the Lord will repay more than you can ever imagine. Right? Okay. Let's look at. Uh, There's an activity on page 17. It says, given secret. Uh, Jesus commanded his followers to give in secret, which is always easy in the modern world, which isn't always easy in the modern world. Okay, and that's based on what we saw in the text, and we know that people do that, and they don't want to keep it a secret. They want everybody to know what they're doing, right? Record practical ways you can contribute by following sources, could contribute the following resources to God's kingdom without gaining recognition for yourself. Choose two. Which two would you choose? You get time and money, gifts and talents, possession and knowledge. Then sets of tools. Okay, which two would you choose? That's a tough one, eh? <laughs> Money and time, gifts and talents, possessions, knowledge. Money and time. Okay, we got a money and time. Okay, anybody else? Money and gifts and talents. Okay. Hmm? Money and knowledge. Money and knowledge. Okay. Anyone else? Okay, what emotions do you experience when you give to others? Okay, Deontia said she feels good about it. She sees it's an act of worship. Anybody else? What emotions do you experience when you give to others? You feel happy and it's a joy. You feel happy and it's a joy, okay? So you can imagine how God feels when he gives to us, right? If that's how we feel, because you, you multiply what, however you feel a million times, and it gives you an idea of how God feels when he gives to us. Hmm? Makes you feel obedient. Feels good when you're doing the right thing, eh? When you're obeying the laws and, and you, you're being obedient. It makes you feel good. You don't have that, that sense that, boy, I wonder if I get caught, what will happen to me? You know, because you know you're obedient. You're doing the right thing. Okay, so being obedient always should make you feel good. Okay, let's look at what the Bible has to say again, and uh, this time, uh, verses 5 to 8 of Matthew 6, page 15. Pray, every you pray, you must not be a gift, because they love to pray standing in the synagogue and when the street comes to receive our people. I assure you, they're God their reward. When you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. 
many pregnant Bible like that and growing kids since they imagine they will be great for their many words will be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. Okay. So Jesus also applied the principle of proper motivation to the spiritual discipline of prayer in worship. All right, so you can be hypocritical in your giving, but you can also be hypocritical in your prayer life as well, right? Jesus drew a distinction between public prayer and private prayer. As he brought up public prayer, he called attention to people who misused it in the act of worship. And he showed that their misuse started where? Where does it start? In their hearts, right? Doesn't everything start in the heart? What does the Bible say about the heart? The heart is deceitful. And above all things, what? Desperately wicked. Desperately wicked. All kinds of stuff starts in the heart. And that's what Jesus is saying here. The misuse of prayer starts in the heart. They always had their way in public places such as synagogues or street corners at one of the daily prayer times that the people in that time normally had. And, uh, and they would stand up and pray so others can hear them and admire their devotion and how they prayed. According to Jesus, this admiration would only be, would be the only reward that they will ever get for such prayers. Okay, so Jesus is saying, you better enjoy it because that's all you can ever get. Okay, even so, Jesus' warning doesn't diminish the value of public prayer as a part of worship. He's not downing public prayer. He's not saying there's something wrong with public prayer. He's saying you got to have the right motive when you do it. And you're doing it not because you want to draw attention to yourself, but you are uh, showing it in devotion to God. He says, when we pray in a worship service out of proper motivation, we talk to God in the company of others who are worshiping with us. And so what we're doing is we are worshiping through community. And that's what the, the whole idea is when he, when, he, when he denounces public prayer. But then look at verse 6. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Notice, Jesus went on to teach that Applying the principle of proper motivation starts with private prayer. So in other words, before you get out there in public and try to show off, you start in private. Okay, because that's what a lot of people do in public. They're just showing off. Okay, he says, start in private. That's why he directed his listeners to go to the private place for prayer, a room with no distractions and no audience. Once there... They should close out everything that will prevent focusing attention on the conversation that they are having with their Lord. Block out all distractions and pray to your God. Jesus taught, what Jesus taught in this verse really only scratches the surface of what we should do in order to pray more effectively. And of course, those of us who have done the Many churches would know that there's a whole lot more when we did Warham series. There's a whole lot more to prayer. And so more attention will be given to this in the next lesson uh, when we come back. But look at the paragraphs on verse 18. Okay, someone read that please. 
in once. Not only does worship transform our giving, but also our prayer. Unfortunately, that's necessary because we can just as easily abuse prayer as we can giving. In verses 5 through 8, Jesus rebuked the hypocrites for the way they prayed in the same way he rebuked them for the way they gave. The hypocrites headed to the street corners and made a great show of their prayers. Since God knows the hearts and actions did not impress him, Jesus said we should pray in the same way he said we should give, humbly and privately. Jesus went on to say, don't babble like the idolatrous, verse 7, the pagans believed they had to drone on and on to give the attention of whatever God's favor they wanted. Such babbling is totally unnecessary when talking to our Father. The one who knows us so deeply, he knows the things you need before you ask him. Verse 8. In fact, we don't have to do anything special to get God's attention. He seeks us and desires for us to come to him. Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and incomprehensible incomprehensible things you do not know. Jeremiah, is that Jeremiah 33, 3? Mm -hmm. As with giving, Jesus was not speaking against praying publicly. Done correctly, public prayer should lead us, should lead our listeners before the throne of God not display our own party. Your father who sees in secret will reward you with three. God's answer to our prayer certainly can be seen as a reward. But the ever greater reward is the communion we have in private conversation with God. Since we are not trying to impress anybody when we pray privately, our hearts can be more focused on simple communion with God. There is no greater reward than the presence of God Himself. Amen. Okay, now notice uh, the third, some of the main points uh, we notice from that uh, will be read. Not only does true worship transform our giving, but also our prayer. True worship doesn't only transform our giving, but also it transforms our prayer. Jesus said we should pay in the same way, we should pray in the same way he said we should give. And how is that? Humbly and privately, right? And the second point we know there is done correctly, public prayer should lead our listeners before the throne of God, not display our own piety. Okay, question number four on page 18. When was praying felt when has praying felt like an act of worship to you? 
It always does, right? It should. Okay, last passage. Um, Matthew 6, 6 to 18 on page 15. Whenever you fast, do be sad and tasty, and you will do For they make their faces unattractive, so they'll cross in this promise to you. And they show you, <coughs> dear God, dear Lord, when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that you do show your fasting to people. But to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay, so should we see the definition of a fasting, right? Practice of abstaining from food for a period of time for the purpose of what? Getting closer to God. Okay, and it should always be for that purpose. Getting closer to God. So Jesus brought up a third spiritual dis discipline here in this passage. Often abused by people who wanted to make a spectacle of their, of their spirituality. Fasting was more prominent in the Jewish culture, culture of Jesus' day than the culture that we have today. Uh, we don't have too much people doing much fasting today. Fasting was more prominent to the Jewish cultures. Jewish people honored the Old Testament law that instructed them to fast on the Day of Atonement, as we have uh, in, um, in Leviticus 16, which took place once a year when Israel gathered to worship the Lord in his spirit in a spirit of repentance and gratitude uh, for what God had done for them. So during the time of Jesus' ministry, Jewish leaders regularly included fasting in their lives as a wholesome act of righteousness. They denied themselves food to demonstrate nothing that nothing stood in the way of their desire to nourish a healthy relationship with God. But like giving, praying like giving and praying, fasting could provide hypocrites with an open door for visibly practicing piety in the presence of others. And that's why Jesus talks about when you do it, don't go out in public looking like you've done it. You know, all disheveled and you look like, what, what have you been doing? You know, people say, oh yeah, yeah, I've been fasting. And so you make yourself look, you know, very pious. Jesus said, don't do that, you know. Whatever you do in fasting, you do before between you and the Lord. Clean up yourself, go out and probably nobody knows what you're doing. They don't need to know. Okay, because it's between you and the Lord. And uh, God will honor it as he sees fit. Okay, paragraph on page 19. When Jesus addressed the discipline and fasting in verses 16 to 18, he confronted the same problem as he did earlier in Matthew 16. The hypocrites attempted to be crowd pleasers with their giving and praying. So why not go three for three with their fasting? How do you make a public spectacle of fasting? The Pharisees smeared ashes on their faces so that when they walked in the streets, they would look haggard. They wanted everyone to notice the agony they were in as they fasted. According to Jesus, people's sympathetic, people's sympathetic response to these hypocrites' pitiful state was their only reward. Sadly, fasting is a neglected discipline in the church today. We live in such a fast pace and, and surrounded by so much stuff that it's not that work, it's not 
that work, hobbies, and kids schedules are bad, but we've let all these things consume our time, and we haven't set aside any real space for God to show up. Fasting allows us to be emptied for a stretch of time, which gives God an opportunity to bring about His fullness in our lives. I know my life can be controlled by the desire for food, but when I'm fasting, I let those hunger pangs drive me to pray. I'm reminded that I live by, I, I don't live by bread alone, but by the power and provisions of the Lord. Fasting, like giving and prayer, is a discipline intended to position us for true worship. So if you don't fast, consider starting as an act of worship. When you do, you'll experience the great reward that comes with such worship and the joy of the power of the presence of God. Okay, let's uh, look at question five. What results can we expect when we worship God through giving, praying, and fasting? So what do you expect? What kind of results do we expect when we worship God through the, the three disciplines? Giving, praying, and fasting. You get to know Him? Okay. It pleases God. It pleases God. Okay, you get to know Him better and it pleases God. Anybody else? Alright. It puts us where God wants us to be, right? Okay, remember the point now. Giving, praying, and fasting are disciplines of personal worship. How do we live this out as we move here and go forward during the course of the week? Page 20. How will Jesus' teaching on giving, praying, and fasting impact your worship this week? Consider the following options. Start fasting. If you don't have much experience with discipline and fasting, give up one meal this week. Instead of eating, use the time to praise and thank God for the blessings in your life. Secondly, move beyond food. If you have experience fasting from meals, try a media fast over an entire weekend. Abstain from TV, movies, computers, phones, and so on. Use your desire to be entertained as a continual reminder to connect with God throughout each day. So you can not only fast with food, you can do with other stuff as well. And then the third point is seek God's presence. Schedule yourself a time to spend at least an hour in God's presence this week. Use that hour to pray, worship, and meditate on His Word, and so on. Okay, so we have three activities we can engage in as a response to this lesson. But a reminder, bottom page 20, there aren't a lot of skilled sailors in the model world, but there's every reason and every opportunity for followers of Jesus to become skilled worshipers. Best of all, sailing with God in worship will always take you in the right direction. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you again for the reminder uh, from your word on these three disciplines of praying, giving, and fasting. We pray, O oh Lord, that we may take up the challenge uh, of the suggestions uh, for this coming week and see how they will work out in our own lives and, uh, and bring us closer to you and please you. 
at the same time. We pray a blessed benediction as we leave here and go into the service. We pray for Pastor Ellie that he brings the word today and all those who will be complimentary ministering with him in music and spoken word. We pray, O oh Lord, that you will get glory for yourself as we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.